Hello and welcome to another podcast from Sacred Ground Tours about the Western Front of World War I. It's the 104th anniversary of one of the most infamous battles of the First World War. The Battle of the Somme started on July the 1st, 1916 and continued for almost five months. However, it's the first day of the battle that is most remembered. It's the worst day in the history of the British Army. Almost 20,000 men died and about another 40,000 were wounded. There were more than a million casualties on both sides during the entire battle. It started after a week-long Allied artillery bombardment designed to destroy the German defences. However, the shelling didn't work as expected and the attacking forces suffered very high casualties with little, if any, gain. Thousands of soldiers were never found and were lost forever in the French soil. The Teepvale Memorial to the Missing remembers those men. It's a huge monument, built after the war, with the names of more than 70,000 men inscribed in it. It's one of the must-see sites of remembrance on the Western Front, and it's included in Sacred Ground Tours itinerary of the Somme. There's a visitor centre and museum which we visit before walking to the nearby memorial. Things are a bit abnormal at the moment due to coronavirus, but I dropped in when times were normal to find out more about the battle and the memorial. My name's Dawn. Drouin. I started working here in 2004 when the visitor centre opened. Is that the new part that I'm in now, or was it? It's no, been no. it's been renovated and it's, it's pretty it's pretty fancy now. The, there was a new part added onto the back. That's the part that people pay to visit. It opened in 2016. It was to mark the Battle of the Somme, the 100th anniversary. So tell me what people are listening to this can expect when they come to this museum. The actual museum or the site itself? All of it. Yeah, All of it, the museum. And tell me yeah. what, so there's more, it's a site and the museum. Obviously most people are coming to Teepval to begin with to see the memorial. They arrive here, they find all the comfort of somewhere to shelter, toilets, shop. <laughs> We're here to answer any questions. The museum part of it, it gives people a bit of an idea about the, the war itself, but also the battles that happened here in, you know, in the Somme, Teepval in particular, mm -hmm. in 1916, 1st of July, when so many soldiers from all sides were, were killed and injured. Describe, let's maybe we go for a bit of a walk through mm -hmm, yes. the no muse museum and how long would it take if someone's coming to go through the museum and just look at most of the exhibits? It's only reasonably small. The actual museum to the back, people spend about 45 minutes. Obviously first there's the visitor centre where people t tend to spend a good half an hour or so. They can spend a couple of hours obviously. Because uh, I haven't <laughs> been into the museum, I was getting confused. So this is the visitor centre. Yes. So this has panels along the sides which explain the uh, the war from the beginning through to the end. There's a section on memory, another section towards the back there about the Commonwealth war waves. So. It talks about the Somme, it says here on the, on the wall, with the, it's got pictures and maps to show you where it is and pictures of uh, soldiers in trenches, the, I think it's the Hawthorne crater yes. mine being blown up yes. and there's one here that catches my attention is all the shells, the used shells that are just laying in massive piles and it's got a picture up the top as well and there's information panels, there's, there's quite a bit to, to take in. Yes, uh, 
The exhibition's had lots of success since it opened. It, it's very easy and clear to follow, so it goes down well with children, adults, everybody. And would you say people, when they're coming out to the battlefield, maybe to come in here first to get, if, if you're not aware, because a lot of people that come aren't experts, mm-hmm. aren't they? They're just here for the first time, and, and some may be being dragged along by the, the member of their family yeah. that's really into it. And so. <laughs> you could learn a lot about it before you go out to look at the battlefields themselves perhaps? Yes, this is really very clear, it covers everything. We have a, actually have a guidebook with all the information that we sell in the shop. And, and let's move along to the next bit here. So we've gone along on the side here, as you said, you know, it takes a war from start to finish. You've got something to show me, have you, to talk well, about? There's a film that's shown at the bottom here as well. It's actually three films of roughly 15 minutes each. And it's in a room that's I'm going to just describe it, it's um, like got sandbags and it's almost like a dugout or a, a bunker or something where like, from like the war and you just sort of, you mm-hmm. walk in and it's, it's just talking about, about the Somme and, and he watched the movie here now and it's, it's in English but it's got uh, French, it looks like French subtitles and it's just telling you, what, what, what is it, just in general, what does it tell you, these, these films that you watch? There's the first film, that's The Somme in the Great War. That's what most people try to catch because it gives them the most information about what they're coming to see. Second film, Memory. It says there, Reconstruction and Remembrance. Yeah. And yeah. Because the, this area, there's the village just down the way, it um, imagines it's wiped out. There's nothing left because this was yes. a really fought over piece of ground. Yes, and then obviously the last film is too, well, that really goes into detail about uh, what happened to the village and what we were left with at the end. What was it like, you know, from that, the first day of the Somme and was the village still here then or was it destroyed well before then? It was destroyed before, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Germans came into the village and they stayed here for two two years so so in 1914 they came in and that was 1916 and well there wasn't much success on that first day just a lot of on both sides a lot of death and and huge numbers it's when they arrived here they realized that they were high up they could look down over the land and they could see everything that was going on below so they knew it was the place to stay. They dug in and stayed here for a long time. And of course, uh, Thiepval itself, that the Australians weren't here, but it wasn't far away from Pozieres, which in a period of something like six weeks, I think, there was 24,000 casualties going through Pozieres, windmill, down to Mouquet Farm. And then I think the ultimate objective was to get here, but it turned out they didn't need to in the end. It was, um, I think the British got here beforehand. But mm-hmm. at... And I think it says a model, as we walked in, a a large-scale model of the memorial. But that puts into some sort of context the scale of it, the the killing. Is it 70-something thousand names are on that memorial to the soldiers that were killed but who have no known grave? They're missing. There were 72,000. Originally, when it was built, there were over 73,000. Obviously, over the years, they found bodies, identified some of them, and... they removed the names from either the memorial or the Commonwealth War Grave registers. And that memorial, is, well, let's talk a little bit more about it before we move on. It's, it's big and it's, it stands out and it's on the high ground already. Mm-hmm. It just dominates the surrounding countryside, doesn't it? Which The hills here aren't big and it's, it's, it's a dominating uh, mm-hmm. uh, landmark. Yes, it was, well, it was chosen to be built here because it's really, it really marks 
the battle. It's there all on its own, nothing around it. Do you talk to people when they come through and they see the memorial, like the reaction, it's, it's, I don't know, what, what do you find most people think about when they see it with the scale of it? Oh, they're amazed, of course. Sometimes they've already been up to Belgium and been to the Menning Gate. Obviously, that's very big. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's there in the middle of town, so it's quite surprising when they come here. A lot of the time, people aren't expecting it to be standing there in the middle of a tiny little village. And these are places here, and the Menning Gate and the battlefields themselves, but here particularly, I imagine, I suppose mainly for British people, some other Commonwealth nations as well, um, but they, they have their missing mem- commemorated elsewhere, but it's a place of pilgrimage, isn't it? Yes, of course, of course. We see lots of people arriving and they get very, very emotional. Yeah. And probably a lot of them, a large percentage of them, would have connections through relatives that are on that wall, on that memorial. Yes, yes, of course. I mean, mo- the majority of people come in, they have some someone from the family. I mean, almost everybody in Britain has contact to someone with the name up on the memorial. And what's that like? What do they, I imagine you probably talk to them and and, and what do they think about coming here? It's a very important uh, visit. Obviously when they come out they're not expecting to just see all the, the cemeteries around. So by the time they get to the memorial some people can get very, very emotional. And I think probably a lot of people, they don't realise that until they get here how many cemeteries there are. Just it's everywhere you look, everywhere, every road you go down when you're on the battlefields, there's cemeteries and, and more than one in lots of cases. Yes, yes, of course. So the, most people have, have no idea of what it's going to be like. So you've got tiny little cemeteries that have been left in the middle of fields that are hard to get to because they are, built, they are cemeteries that were built right after the battle and they've been left there. Others, they've been grouped together because it was, it's so much easier, obviously, for the, the gardeners, the workers with the Commonwealth War Graves to take care of them. And Dawn, um, how many people roughly, like a rough guess, come through here? Each, each year. I know it's probably quietened down a little bit now being winter, but how many people roughly do you get through each year? Us, uh, through the visitor centres, we have about 150,000 a year. Obviously, some people go around and they miss the visitor centre or we obviously could be closed. And yeah. Have you seen the numbers that would have been, I imagine, a spike in visitors for the centenary years? Has there been any sort of drop-off this year in, in any way or is it just sort of... It's pretty much average the whole time. So our, our busier years were 14, 16 and 18. 15 and 17, the years just in between were a bit quieter and this year has obviously gone back down again. Mm. We are about like 13 just before this centenary began. Mm. And what brings you here? You have a French name, um, but you, from just talking to you now, mm-hmm. It sounds like it's more than just what you've learnt for your job. It sounds to do this job. It's, it sounds like you are, have an interest in World War One and what happened here. Well, I originally came to France uh, a long time ago. I was twenty, so I, I wasn't coming for the battlefields. It's because I met my husband, and yeah, I followed him out to France eventually. Obviously, when, when this place opened uh, 15 years ago, it's in the ideal place to come to work. I was already working on the battlefields. Doing what? I was working in a uh, tea room, uh, 
just down the road there, uh, close to the uh, Hawthorne Crater and Bowman Hamel. Wow, yeah. And so doing that, you get to meet people. And do you, do you find it interesting now, the, 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 the history of the war? Yes, yes, it's very, very interesting. With uh, meeting so many people, it's interesting. It's so nice to meet people coming from all over the world and people that are so different. So. And they're all here for a special thing and it could be the trip of a lifetime, particularly people from far away like Australia and South Africa, New Zealand, it's the other end of the world. Um, so even though it's sombre, it's, 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 they're positive as far as it's, it's a maybe once in a lifetime trip. So they're generally, apart from when they get to see the, the somberness of you know, the death that happened in the war, but it's, they're usually in a positive frame of mind as well. That, let's move away from that music. It's really building up to a crescendo. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, it, it's, it must be great to meet all those people. Yes, yes. Obviously, uh, we're getting people from all over the world. We've been meeting lots of Australians ever since this place opened, even before I was meeting them. Mm. So lots of Australians come here? Yes, yeah, they're, they're not just doing the visitor centre and the battlefields, they're going all over the Somme, even going back to England, visiting family and such. Because the one thing here is it's, um, even though the death toll in, was large scale, it's small scale in terms of its size of uh, your way around the battlefield. Like, mm. You know, Thietvard's not very far from Pozieres. It's, 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 it's all very, you know, a couple of kilometres mm -hmm. away. It's, as a tourist, it's pretty easy to get around. Yeah, most of the Australian visitors, they come in with uh, local battlefield guides. Mm. These days, of course, they're going over to the new visitor centre in Villas Bretonneux as well. So we don't see as many of them, or mm. they don't stay for as long. Mm. Should we have a look in the museum? Is that possible? To you can take me in, and we'll. And we won't spend the forty odd minutes. I think you said it might take to go through. We'll we'll do a an abridged version. But so we've just walked in. We've gone through the gate, and it says 1914, uh, 1916, 1918, Battles of the Somme. What are we seeing in here? If you could just describe it, please, Dawn. There we are. So first, there's a screen that just gives a brief uh, view of the local area. As you can see, lots of maps. And it's uh, here is talking about, I think it's like a timeline with uh, information about each year, each month of significant things in that year, right through to the end of the war. It talks yes. more the Somme. Visitors, visitors can just come and wander around on their own. They're quite surprised when they come in, especially when it's busy out there in the visitor centre, because when they come into the museum, it's very quiet and they get time to get the feel of the place. And so when we walk in here, there's a little small room with the way we just described it. And then we've come into like a long hall and maybe the best way to describe it is like a, on glass panels that are lit and it's in black and white. And it's like a, on either side of us down this long corridor, you can hear it echoing, is I suppose, would you say a mural of, yes. of scenes from the war and it's got the village and, and just the, everything. The artist Joe Sacco, he draw the scene of the first day of the Battle of the Somme. Uh, if I remember rightly, it was 2013 or 2012. Then a couple of years later, they wanted to put it somewhere on the battlefield to show people what had happened. So 
now people can wander around and take it, even children, obviously. They take in everything that happens in starting here. Is that General Haig? With the general, yes. Back at his chateau. That's it. Well removed from the, uh, <laughs> the action. Describe it as we're walking along. Tell us as the scene unfolds. Yeah, here, the, here, here are the men, the soldiers, the horses, everything out on the getting ready to go to battle. The makeshift train lines, bringing everything in. Horses, lots of horses, men, yes. all the, the equipment, um, bags of maybe food, yeah. um, horses being fed, uh, the barbed wire pickets in the back of a, a horse and cart yeah. here. Big, big artillery. It's, 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 when you look at it, oh, I'm just first time I've seen this. It's um, there's a lot of detail. The more you look at it, the more you find. Yeah. And the, up here, you see the uh, this is Albert, the town just down the road, with the leaning virgin that had been an aim of the soldiers to knock knock it down and of the Germans yeah, yeah. yeah well the idea was that whoever knocked it down to the ground would win the war <laughs> and that's got a close link with Australia because the Australian troops would come through Albert and do you know the story with the the virgin on there what the Australians used to say who they named her have you heard that oh I have heard it but I can't remember at the moment <laughs> <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot Dawn but it's um they called her Fanny Durack and she was an Olympic swimmer uh, uh, that was it yes and she <laughs> You're all over it. She was an Olympic swimmer and a diver, and that reminded the way with she was at um, right angles, yes. the, or the, the virgin the statue yeah. was, reminded them of her diving into the pool yeah. uh, at the start of swimming race. So, yeah, it's a, a significant part of Australians um, in World War One too. Um, here we have the troops marching forward, I assume, to the front line. Yes, all the detail is there. You can see you can see everything that's going on there. Cannon. Artillery firing with the, the blast and uh, the smoke coming out, and the guys loading forward lines, loading the artillery, plane crash there. And I should say too that um, it's like a black and white cartoon almost style. Yes. It's it's not like a, you know the normal painting. No, no, no. It's cartoon effect on glass, uh, lead lit uh, panels. Just here we have soldiers going into a dugout, and through, we're now into the trenches. So we've gone from behind the lines into the trenches and you see them lining up there with their packs on with shovels and their helmets on and their rifles. Then you have details just down here explaining what's happening all along the panels, obviously. I might just read one here. It says, the men assembled in their jumping off trench where they might wait for up to two days before the attack began. In the meantime, they readied themselves, writing, sleeping and eating in some cases in a last breakfast. Artillery fire continued to target German lines. In just one week, the British fired more than 1.5 million shells. And then there's looks like a diary from a William Noel Hodgson, uh, Lieutenant with the Devonshire Regiment. And that, that's all the, uh, here we go. I recognize that name, uh, Siegfried Hassoun, a poet, war poet, mm -hmm. British. Yeah, and, that, and that's just telling some stories along the way as, as you look at the pictures. So all, all along this, this one side, it's, getting ready, just going into battle. Then as you move across just to the other side, it's where it, where it begins. You see the first soldiers, they've just gone through uh, the barbed wire. You can see them starting to fall. 
artillery shells bursting amongst them. And is this from depicting the first day of the Somme? Yes, yes. It pretty much covers just the first day. We'll just pause here because and we'll look down and the running along in between down the middle of this room with the pictures on either side is like a, a pit with glass over the top that you walk along. And there's down below me, I can see, I think it might be a Vickers machine gun. Ah, oh, no, I'm wrong. It's a Maxim machine gun from Germany. It was captured on the 26th of September 1916 at Teepvale, probably by Lance Corporal Leonard Tovey of the 11th Battalion Royal Fusiliers, who was posted missing on the same day, aged 19. He's commemorated on the Teepvale Memorial. It's believed to be. I mean, that, that, that was bought from a, um, lo a local uh, British man who used to work in armoury. So he sold it as being the one that was captured here and we believe that it is. And they, you know, while the artillery claimed a lot of men, it was these, these machine guns. The, the modern war had come to mass attacks. They didn't realise their, their plans were behind, uh, the tactics were behind uh, this modern industrial war. And I think on that first day, 20,000 casualties. 20,000 killed, wasn't it? 60,000 killed, yeah. yeah. killed and wounded. So, uh, almost 20,000... Dead, more dead, and 60,000 killed and wounded, obviously. And this, this uh, pit with the glass over the top that you can walk along, I shouldn't say a pit, that makes it sound like a, a garage or something, a mechanics workshop, but it's not. It's perfectly pristine and clear. But Dawn, lots of um, artefacts. Just tell me a little bit about some of the things that are down further along away from that uh, Maxim gun. Uh, all this was... Uh, it's, it was all found in the local battlefields. It's... The objects that have been bought in from the Historial our, uh, Museum down in Peron, which is the main museum in the area to remember the war. But that's right, you are linked with the one in Peron, aren't you? Yes. Because and, and it's another amazing place. Yes, obviously that's much bigger there. We're just the small part, but in the biggest area, we're next to the memorial. So it's where people come when they're feeling much more emotional. Uh, and, and so looking at the picture, we, on the other side is lots of artillery, lots of fighting uh, guys in the trenches, but then they're sort of, are they making their way back to their own lines? Is that what that's, the wounded coming back? Yeah, they're, they're trying to take them away. So many people were just left down, people, they couldn't get to them to save them. So you, you see ambulances trying to take people away, but Lots were just left out there on the battlefield, and they, uh, that's why they were never able to take them and uh, put them into graves and look after them properly, and the names now are up on the memorial. They were just lost. Yeah, because they were left there, and then the shelling just continued, and the yeah. fighting, and it just kept churning the mud. And uh, yeah, that, That's quite a sobering uh, impact, that picture down both sides of the, uh, the museum here and just like all the shells just to blow us again as we walk out of this part. I'm not conscious of time. What, what's this room we're walking into now, Dawn? Well, across here we, it talks more about the German side of the, uh, the museum and what happened during the war. 
So it's uh, part of the, uh, the museum, but it was funded by the Germans. Ah, well. so, so that they could uh, show that they were here and what happened as well. I see there's lots of photos down here as well of soldiers. Yes. Um, are these uh, people that were fought here, died here? They're all soldiers uh, that are remembered up there on the memorial. And it's interesting too because there's the picture on onto glass and then behind it is the the same picture and it sort of yeah, almost gives it like a, a 3D effect sort of thing, doesn't it? Yes. So well, well this room even as we go into it's remembering the the missing of the psalm. Oh, with the, the personal, the, yes. the actual individuals and some maybe personal yeah, effects? We, we have a database back there in the visitor centre that was started by a British couple in 2004 when we opened and it gives more information about the men that are on the memorial. Anything that, that's extra to what's on the Commonwealth War Graves database is added to that database. So when we opened, we had information on 2,000 men. These days, we've got it up to about 14,000. So, and about half of those have photos. This is where the pictures come from. Ah, it just it makes it more than a name, doesn't it? Yes, yeah, it's all information that's either been sent in by the family or otherwise schools, roles of honour and newspapers. And I think just talking to a few of the museums that I've been to, you do get a lot of, quite a few people come in and with, you know, it might have been their relatives that, and when their relatives pass on, they will bring things in or even some of the soldiers who survived that took souvenirs back home, then their families pass it on. And do you find that here, people coming in with, you know, whether it's letters or diaries or Occ pictures? Occasionally people will bring us things here, but we don't keep anything like that or occasionally they'll be wanting to put things into the museum but they, anything like that gets organised through the historial down in Peron. Now this has got my attention it's a uh, biplane a little silver biplane um, let's have a look at it before I make, jump to any like I did with the uh, Maxim gun uh, it's a replica life-size replica and do I pronounce that Newport? Newport. Newport 17 Christened, you better say this. How do you pronounce that? Is it Vaux? Uh, Vaux? Uh, Vieux Charles, which, is, which means old Charles. And this is interesting because it was uh, the pilot of this, well, this is the replica, but the, it's a replica of the plane flown by, uh, I think, a very famous French pilot. Georges Guignemer. It's very hard to say, even for me, and I've been here a long time. Yeah, he was a very famous French pilot. And he flew here during the Battle of the Somme, and the aircraft that he flew was damaged during a mission on the 21st of August 1916. It landed near Allied lines, where it was dismantled and taken back to the squadron. Yeah. yeah. One of the reasons this room is here, it's to show what happened after the Battle of the Somme. So this is going into... 1917, it's going further into the war. Over here there's a poster, Le Baron Rouge, the Red Baron. Mm -hmm. You sound so much better when that, that, that French <laughs> accent, Dawn. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Red Baron, who is not too far from here, where he uh, was shot down, I believe, by... There's a bit of debate, but I think yes, consens yes. <laughs> consensus is, because I'm Australian, that it was an Australian uh, machine gunner. Um, I think it was Cedric Popkin, or Popkins, which was he was from... The Sunshine Coast, oh, right. in Queensland, Australia, which is yeah. where I come from. And yeah. I think that is the, the mostly accepted 
version of how he was shot down. Anyway, that's just an, that's just an aside. Uh, and, and more pictures up here. It just continues on the theme, does it, Dawn, with just uh, yeah. more of that. It talks about all the well-known uh, pilots, whether they be British, French or German. I know they had a pretty high death rate, the pilots, but in some yeah. ways, i tell you what, it'd be preferable to being down amongst it. What we saw in those pictures back there with the artillery, the machine guns, the mud, uh, you know, I, I think it is... Uh, oh, it's, yeah, I don't know, there's, there's so many ways to die in the war, but very sobering spot. And uh, is that the end of the museum here now? Yes, pretty much so. Um, there's, there's a screen here which... For now, it's just in French. One day I may get round to translating it. <laughs> yes, it, it, it was a work. Uh, it was work of uh, someone who works down at the Historial, so it's really interesting. But as as I say, for now, <laughs> I can't help you with that because my French is non-existent. Um, but look, thank you. As the as the the, the sun starts to go down on a, another day here in uh, northern France, and. Uh, Thank you, Dawn, for taking the time to show me around and uh, I appreciate your time. And no problem. It's been nice meeting you. It would be nice if I could pop up to the memorial with you, but I, I'm not too sure about time. Turn right off, please. I hoped you... I hope you enjoyed the tour and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.